Today we have a very, very special service for you. I always delight in bringing many voices up to the pulpit, and today is one of those days when we'll hear from our very own congregants about their own experiences of parenting. And we lift up all kinds of families, birth families, chosen families, parenting by parents, by aunties, by grandparents, and we also lift up ourselves if we had at some point in our lives had to parent ourselves. So we're very inclusive in how we imagine and define the word parent. Late last night, I received a wonderful testimony that just didn't make it into the program, but I felt it was so beautifully articulated, and it was such a powerful message that I thought I would share it with you as a welcome. And so um, with Trevor and Signe's permission, I'll share this testimony that was written by Trevor Menach. He writes, It is because of Unitarian Universalism that we have kids at all. We didn't think having children was in the cards for us. My wife has epilepsy. Back then, she had seizures every month. When we started dating back in college, one of the stipulations was kids are likely off the table. We can't move on if you're not fine with that. I was young and okay with it, so... Ten years passed without kids for us. During that time, we discovered UUism in Philadelphia. Back then, I was involved in the men's group at church. In my early 30s, I was the youngest there by decades. The insight I gained from others farther along in their journey was illuminating for me. One year during our annual men's retreat at Murray Grove, the site where John Murray gave his first universalist sermon in America in 1770, Everything changed for me. We were doing an exercise where we were asked to sketch out the path of our lives on big pieces of paper with crayons and markers. Turns out men's retreats and kindergarten have a lot in common. We walked around the room slowly in circles, contemplating the paths we sketched to melodic and peaceful music. As I walked around that room, I traced the ways of my life up to that point and envisioned the paths ahead. The thing that stuck out for me the most, the realization I didn't understand in myself up to that point, was that all the paths I thought or led through parenthood, all of them. It was a shocking epiphany for me. It was so clear, so apparent, like it never could have been before. That night at a drum circle around a bonfire, I talked about my revelation and confessed my feelings to the group. It was as if a fog had cleared, and vocalizing it to that trusted group made it real. I didn't know how we would do it with my wife's epilepsy being an issue, but I was ready and open to that discussion. As an adoptee, I knew there is more than one way to make a family and was finally ready to have those conversations. When I returned home from the the retreat, I talked with my wife about my experience. 
I told her I couldn't imagine a life without creating a family with her. And it changed our world. She was overjoyed, much to our surprise. And we started in earnest to figure out a way to get on more stable medication so she could go longer without seizures. That was a two-year-long process of experimentation, many ambulance rides in the streets of Philadelphia, as we discovered what did and did not work. Finally, we found a combination that stopped the seizures altogether. The ambulance rides became few and far between, and we got to work trying to have our kids. We were in our mid-30s, and it took a while, another two years, in fact, but it was all worth it. The soul-searching, the worry, the stress, the 23 hours of labor, all worth it. I was there to catch my son, and two years later, my daughter, as they were born. And I knew we had made the right decision. Oh, to be sure, parenting is not a walk in the park. My son is neurodivergent, just like I was, am. My daughter is working through what it means to grow up in the world today. And my wife and I are fumbling through it all, making all the mistakes. But for all the mistakes we make, the one thing I know for sure is that having a family in the first place was not a mistake at all. Thank you, Trevor and Signe, for this gift. I knew parenting as a spiritual path wouldn't be the easiest topic. But we're excited to bring it here into East Shore and into the sacred faith community that we share to learn more about each other, and to really bear witness to ourselves and one another. The testimony that you already heard and the others that you're here today are powerful. And we're joined together in community to accompany one another on all of these spiritual journeys and to learn a little bit more about how parenting is one of those. Before we get started, let's have a round of applause for anyone who has parented and anyone who has been parented too. Both are not easy. Something we often do in Unitarian Universalism and other religious traditions is bring these people who we're thinking of into our room today by saying their names aloud. So I'll invite you all together to just speak the name of someone that you have parented to, someone that you have been parented by, someone that you've witnessed parents as we go into this worship space together and recall all these aspects of the parenting journey, whether they're chosen family, birth family, adopted family, extended family. So just take a second and recall, bring these people into our room today. Say them out loud together. Gloria, Ethel, Arthur. They're with us in our cells and in our body, truly. Now, the call today is parenting as a spiritual path. In fact, I have little children, so I know a little bit more I'd like to think about the spiritual path than I do about parenting itself, but I'll share what I have learned so far. 
Parenting gives you glimpses into the joys and challenges and beauty and miracle of life. And like any other spiritual path, if you allow it, it can be a practice. A practice where we are learning and unlearning more about ourselves as imperfect, beautiful humans, just like Trevor wrote. That parenting accompanied with awareness of the spiritual can bring us closer to peace, to love, and ultimately to each other in our interconnection. I remember the first week after I had Carl, I kept thinking to myself, now why on God's green earth would anyone do this? (laughs) Why do humans encourage this behavior in each other? It was beyond me at that point. It was the hardest thing I had ever done. And I truly meant it. It brought me to my knees, tears to my eyes, cradling this innocent, small creature and fumbling, fumbling into how to do this, how to stay awake, how to feed this baby. There was so much that I didn't know, and it was tender and raw. That initiation into parenting was itself a rite of passage, something that took who I was before and made me anew. Parenting is also an opportunity to heal our inner child and to bless the world with our love. Trauma-informed parenting can remind us of the work that we need to do on ourselves to bring forth our best person, our best wisdom, and our best values. How do we root ourselves in spiritual practices and a spiritual community to be reminded of our values and to have an opportunity to love and to cherish the parts of ourselves that surely need to be healed and that surely parenting will remind us of? Now, the mystery of parenting as a spiritual path, I think, lies in that parenting requires more than just you. It's not like the monks meditating in a cave or Buddha sitting under his Bodhi tree or Jesus fasting in the desert. No, parenting reminds you of the relationships, of the connection. That moment, just like Zazen meditation, the clap in your face saying hello, awakening you. Can you be the best self right now to be in right relationship with this other person? Every day parenting, many, maybe multiple times a day, parenting can remind us, awaken us to that potential and that opportunity. The relationship between the parent and the parented is also a delicate one. That sense that my liberation is bound up in yours also comes with a sense of power. After all, the life stage of parenting I'm in right now with babies and toddlers reminds me of how careful I must be to respect and bring into balance a relationship where I'm so obviously larger and stronger, more resourced than the child. What is it to be in right relationship when there's such a difference in power? It's in those moments of awe and challenge that we're called to be kind, to be loving, and to be generous. Doing this reflection about parenting as a spiritual path was an opportunity to remember who we want to be and how to show up just a little bit more like that. That's what can transform us. 
making the right choice when there's pasta and milk splattering all around the kitchen, (laughs) to be free of punishment and criticism and perfection and embrace the joy and the wonder and laughter in the everyday moment. That, in my stage of parenting, seems to be the gift and the blessing. To be able to return to that mat of parenting and remember that it's not about perfection, that perfection can hold us back from the loving embrace that we so crave, that our inner child craves, and that family can allow us to have. It's about returning over and over to that practice. When you enter a spiritual path, you often take a vow, an expression of commitment, an an installation Right. So when you become a parent and maybe all the unexpected or expected ways that it changes your life, you can make that vow. Maybe you've made it before. But let's take a moment inward to think about what vow that we might want to make as parents or as parented about that sacred relationship. What is its blessing? What is its gift? What do we want to call into this space, into our hearts and minds intention to show up just a little bit differently today or tomorrow and to honor that sacred relationship of parenting just a little bit more? My name is Leanne. I use she, her pronouns, but often I also answer to mom, 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 <laughs> um, just in case you need me. I'm the RE coordinator here at Eshore. I've been here since 2005. I am the parent of two young adults, both in college, both doing well. Yes. And I'm the primary caregiver in parenting now my seven-year-old nephew who came to us two years, almost two years ago. And I'm relearning all the things I thought I was so smart and already knew. Trust me, you don't. I've been a a preschool teacher and I've worked with children since I was nine years old when I got my first job babysitting. I made 50 cents an hour. I know, right? I'm also part of a program that reaches out to LGBTQ kids who have been rejected by their families. And we give them the loving support that a parent would normally give them. We write them letters when they're in college. The main thing we do is we hug them because it's the one thing they said they needed most. So I have a little bit of experience caregiving. And when Reverend Marie Christina asked me to do this, I thought, I don't know if I can. And then I sat down and I wrote several pages about how parenting and working with children fills my heart and soul. But I won't let you, I won't subject you to all seven pages. I'll start with just one. I had two ideas that immediately came to me. Parenting automatically gives you a community if you open your hearts and let it. If you ask me, how are you? And I look at you and say, my daughter turned 13. (laughs) Right? I now have a community of support. You all understand me. You get me. I am not alone in this world. That is the main spiritual practice for parenting for me. I'm not alone. The other one I learned, surprisingly, only as a parent, 
And it came because as an adult, we have figured out either consciously or unconsciously exactly how long it takes us to do everything. And we try and beat that time. I can make it to work up 405 in 20 minutes. And today I'm going to try for 18. I can answer the phone, do an email, and talk to my boss all at the same time. Parenting slows you down. Parenting and having a child in your life makes you see the world again. When you rush out your door, looking at your phone, reading your emails, jumping your car, that's all you see. When you walk out of your house with your child, you notice the puppy that is walking its owner. And if you're lucky, you get to pet the puppy and maybe get a kiss from the puppy. In this modern age, we all have a smartwatch on our hands and we go out for a hike and we look at the watch and we push the button. And now it's going to tell us exactly how long it takes us to get to the top, how many steps it took us and how hard our heart rate worked. Yes, we have made all of our goals. When you hike with a child, you're still going to get to the top, maybe, possibly. But along the way, you're going to get to know every slug and bug on the trail. (laughs) You're going to find out that leaves come in shapes like hearts, and sometimes they're clear, and sometimes they're brown and gold and yellow. You're going to find the clouds dancing. Not only are they dancing, they look like a turtle and a bear. When you hike with a child or go out in nature with a child, you're going to come home with something. Usually it's a rock, and it's a special rock because it has a unique size, a unique color, a unique shape. It really needs a new friend. Your smartwatch is going to tell you that you didn't walk fast enough. Your smartwatch is going to tell you to get your heart rate up. Your child is going to tell you, wasn't that amazing? And honestly, which of those is better? Hmm. People often ask me, why do you like to work with children? Do you know what you're missing when you work with the children and don't go to the adult things? Nope, I don't. But do you know what you're missing when you sit in the adult classes and don't go play with the children? I do. And I wouldn't miss it for anything. We write books teaching adults how to slow down, how to be mindful, how to look at the world, how to smell the flowers. We buy the books. It's actually a billion-dollar industry. I don't pay for it. I walk into a room. And I spend five minutes noticing there's an ant crawling across the floor. I've slowed down. So before you spend your hard-earned money, if you need to slow down, I know many young people who would be happy to spend the morning with you on a Sunday morning and teach you how parenting any child is a spiritual practice.
So as a single queer parent struggling to survive in New York City, I wish I had the opportunity to even think about a spiritual practice, to learn about mindfulness, to read books by Thich Nhat Hanh or watch TED Talks about letting go, dealing with anger, and so much more. I struggled every day just to make time to prepare a nourishing meal to help my son with his homework, and maybe I got to read a story to him during bedtime before we both felt just exhausted by the frantic pace of the big city. We were always running to catch some subway. We were always late for class, for work, three part-time jobs, night college. I always worried about money, He always worried about when he saw those envelopes with the red stripe come in the mail. We worried about new shoes and the next thing. And yet, when I take time to think about it, even though we may have not known anything about mindfulness or spiritual practices or yoga, we did have moments when we were present to each other when we experienced together joy and laughter, playing in the snow, racing matchbox cars, watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or Sesame Street together, learning about friendship, being yourself, kindness, falling asleep, reading the snowy day, learning to be the first to say, I'm sorry, when we were grumpy. Moments when I, the parent, learned so much humility from my child who was always and is still always so quick to forgive and never hold a grudge. I always called him my little Buddha and now he's a big Buddha and recognized him as a divine gift. When I was older and he was growing up, There were lessons about making mistakes, allowing him to change his mind, honoring his decisions even when I didn't agree with him, sitting quietly and listening deeply when he was heartbroken or scared, letting go when he decided to move away and welcome him, welcome him back when he needed to come home more than once. I didn't know then that these were spiritual practices, lessons in parenting that were shaping my own soul. My name is Martin Cox. I use he, him pronouns. And my family includes my wife, Elaine, and our three kids, Milo, Ethan, and Logan. I'm also a co-leader of the family Covenant Circle, a small group of parents and caregivers who meet after worship and coffee once a month, including today, uh, to support one another and discuss topics relevant to family life. Uh, for example, today we're going to be discussing parenting as a spiritual practice. I love my three kids more than anything.
And my love for them makes me vested in their happiness, in their future, and everyone who will be touched by them and their lives. Suddenly, on becoming a parent, I became tangibly connected to the future, to a future that I'll never completely see. My love for my kids forces me to conceive, to imagine their future. It's a future I care so deeply about that I'll do anything, anything, um, to make it the most, you know, fulfilling future it can be. So I raise and nurture and guide my children as best I can. And yet I see all too clearly how little control I actually have over that future. As Cahil Gibran wrote about your children, their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot possibly visit. Parenting is so physically, mentally, and emotionally consuming, I have no choice but to view parenting as a spiritual practice. How else can I face the reality that I care so much about something, our children's future, over which I have so little control? Of course, I strive, I struggle, I work to raise them as best I can. There's so much I want to teach them. Uh, so much, uh, I, so many things I have to tell them. Uh, things that I've learned in my journey in this life that I wish I could pass along. And yet, they can only hear so much from me, really. They, they need to learn most of what they'll know on their own. The best I can do is to be present, be mindful, and strive to keep the relationship trusting and to let go. That's truly the spiritual practice. Good morning. Um, my name is Erica Jackson Kirkendall. My pronouns are her, she, and Aya. And I've been attending eShore since September, along with my spouse, Jason, and our eight-year-old child, Damien. So thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be, he- be here with you this morning. At the 2019 GA in Spokane, I was fortunate enough to attend a workshop by the Reverend Tandy Rogers called Faithing Family. She opened the session with two very simple but very deep reflection questions. One, what makes your parenting you-you parenting versus just parenting? And number two, what makes your home and family life look different than a non-UU home? Reverend Tandy went on to talk about all the different things that influence a young person's faith formation. And if you are at all um, active in faith formation, in RE, or in any way interacting with with young people, I highly recommend uh, the presentations online. Just Google it, and it's great. Um According to the research, the number one, the biggest influence over a young person's faith formation and how they're going to grow up is comes from their parents and their family members. And this seems 
incredibly obvious, but uh, it was also really mind-blowing. It, it's obvious that my spouse and I are our child's primary religious educators, um, but I also had that Sunday school model in my brain where you send kiddo off to RE and, you know, to learn church in the same way that I would send them to school to learn math and language arts and all the other things that they're going to be taught. Um, it wasn't something that I had to be an active participant in beyond just getting them there and making sure they make it to the classroom. Uh, so this was a big shift for, for me. And I'm a project manager at work. So the first thing I did was create a to-do list. So number one, first thing we did was I created a Spotify playlist to drive on the way to, to listen to on the drive to church. Number two, we started all sorts of chalice making arts and crafts. I've got toilet paper chalices and flower pot chalices and all sorts of chalices now in the house where I had exactly zero before. Uh, and then the third thing that I said, okay, we're going to start doing this more intentionally is I'm going to start to notice and name whenever we have story time or other times where my child and I are interacting to, to how something reflects our UU values. So making a really clear connection between um, the stories that we were hearing at home and how they reflected, you know, that everybody is important, which is the child version of the first principle or how we're all connected. Incorporating spiritual practices into my home and family life more intentionally meant that I needed to gain a deeper understanding of what Unitarian Universalism meant to me. I've been at UU for just shy of 15 years, and one of the biggest reasons I came became a UU was because I knew I wanted to become a parent one day. I had many beautiful memories of my childhood church community, and I wanted my child to have something like that too, I just knew I couldn't do it in the spiritual tradition in which I was raised. I chose Unitarian Universalism because of its commitment to justice and inclusion, but I had never stopped to think about my own personal theology. Have you ever tried to get your child to understand something that you can't articulate for yourself? I didn't need the elevator speech that we talk about, but we're talking about, you know, explaining UUism to other adults. I needed the preschooler speech, <laughs> one that could hold up and answer the endless why. Why are we listening to these songs on the way to church? Why are we making chalices every weekend? <laughs> why do we go to a UU church? Why are we UUs and what does that mean? Every new thing I tried became a teachable moment for both of us. First, for me to reflect on what it represented to me, why it was important, and how it helped me connect more deeply to my chosen faith. And second, how to put things into words that even a child could understand. Damien was four years old at this time. So why do we listen to songs and hymns on the way to church? Because they're fun. Because lots of you use know these songs and we're able to connect to one another across the world and across the country. Why are we making chalices? <laughs> because chalices are the symbol of our UU faith and we're proud of that and we want other people to know that and be able to see us. And so why do we go to a UU church? Why are we UUs? Well, I'm a UU because I believe we're all connected, and it's up to us to care for one another. 
We all deserve a, a space to feel loved and safe. And it's up to all of us to create that world. And one day, my kiddo will figure out why there are you too. Thank you. I want to take a deep breath of gratitude for all the testimonies, for all the stories, for all the parents, for the parents who wish that they could have had more time to enjoy their children's childhood and youth. But we're so busy working to make ends meet that they always felt guilty that they were not enough. You are enough. For all the families, the blood families, the chosen families, the extended families, the creative magical families that are bonded through love, we lift them up. We lift you up if you had to parent yourself. Even for a little while, you deserve to be recognized for your courage. Thank you for all the voices that blessed this pulpit this morning. It is only through a diversity of voices that we learn and grow together. May you go in peace and return in love. Worship has just ended, but the service is just beginning. Go in peace. Be blessed and bless the world with your beauty. Amen.